Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 254. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. Good to see you, Valerie. You know what? We got a big show today. Big, big, big. Yeah, on today's show, we're going to be answering your questions about whether hair dye can permanently stain your skin, whether herbal supplements can be used to fight acne, whether a basic beauty routine is okay, how you might treat post-COVID skin, and is polyethylene really a microplastic in cosmetics? But before we get to that, why don't we get a little of our famous inane chit-chat that the uh, reviewers on iTunes love? <laughs> so- <laughs> Well, I'm glad they love it. It's always good to catch up and just give people a little preview about the stuff, you know, that we have going on in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got uh, I got these two foster cats that I'm trying to get from out from under the bed because they spend like the entire day under the bed. It must be <laughs> I mean, nice under there. Uh, yeah. It, it, I think, you know, some days I just look at that. I'm like, maybe I want to just stay under the bed all day. <laughs> It sounds nice, yeah. <laughs> it does, it does. So what do you got going, Valerie? I noticed you were doing a little something on Instagram. Yeah, I. Our, our readers know we've been going a little insane that some people on TikTok started this slander that DMDM Hydantoin in your shampoos is giving you, uh, is causing hair loss. And we know that's not true for a multitude of reasons, but I was just reminiscing how up in arms I got that People started this rumor on TikTok based on the Tresemme lawsuit, and everyone just believed it without asking, without digging in. And then I found myself being a little bit of a hypocrite because there was this um, video, it's something you can't unsee. So uh, by the time our, our viewers listen to this, it'll be gone from my stories. But there was a TV show in Italy, and they had someone dressed up as Donatella Versace. And if you're not sure who that is, um, she likes plastic surgery, which is totally fine. And sure. she, uh, on the show, uh, had squeezed her lower lip together about like, oh, I'm thinking, let me squeeze my lip together. And it stayed squished together. And then her hair was coming out. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe her lips would stay like that. And I was like telling everybody I knew. And then it, it's actually not real. So oh. <laughs> I fell for my own my own thing. It was awful. Well, that just demonstrates how difficult it is to exist in this world where anybody can put anything on the internet and you don't really know what's true and what's not true. No. Somehow I have a I have a fairly good uh, BS detector of internet stuff, although I'm not immune. I just assume everything is fake until <laughs> I can see that it's real. I don't yeah. Know. Well, truth be told, I only fell for it for about an hour and then I spent so much time looking it up and I couldn't find it and then I eventually found you know the real thing and it was just like a little skit or something like that so um, I did do my own research though but I had already fallen for it and told about five people 
before then. Well, it's 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 <laughs> so. it's it's hard not to fall for stuff, uh, especially when there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of interest in a topic, and it's like if it's crazy interesting or crazy different, it seems so much more. It gets so much more attention. It's just hard. Well, to, to the layperson, it's plausible, right? Both yeah. with Donatella Versace and DM DM Hydantuin, it seems plausible which i guess is why it it became so believable yeah i i was interviewed recently for uh a news article about that dmdm high dantuin and you know what i i thought that the reason that they're going after unilever and not other brands is that unilever a couple of years ago settled with suave uh, and so i think they just figure they can get them to settle even though Unilever, I think, would pretty much win any kind of court case, but it'd just be quicker to just settle and, and get it over with. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll see. How about we move on to some beauty science news? <music> Valerie, I was looking around, uh, you know, New Beauty? Mm-hmm. I do, I do. Yeah, I, I look at them, and they had this article, and the question was, are houseplants good for your skin? Very interesting. Hmm. Yeah, here, but here's a tip for anybody out there in Beauty Brains land, the Beauty Brainiacs. Whenever you see an article posed as a question, the answer is always no. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'd like baby, a study on that. Is yeah. baby shampoo killing you? No, it's not. <laughs> Are houseplants good for your skin? No, they're not. <laughs> you just assume it's no. Uh, well, anyway, in this particular article, a few claims were made about indoor houseplants. And specifically, they said that they act as natural humidifiers, adding water molecules into the air, and they remove VOCs, which are volatile organic compounds, from the air. And they even had three dermatologists that were supporting these claims. Now... The story seemed logical enough to me. I mean, you know, I know plants will, you know, take in and out water through respiration and, you know, but is that a significant amount? That's the question, right? Valid question. Yeah. And if plants are taking in air, are they really going to be filtering out VOCs? Now, that part seemed a little bit, a little bit. It's a bit of a stretch. Cleaning air. I mean, I have plants. Mostly, uh, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist allowed me to get them because Tom <laughs> Brady has some. And oh, we had to start okay. with the ones Tom Brady talked about. But well, um, VOCs, a little bit of a stretch. I mean, the, the plant, it's not like the plant is going to use VOCs in their, you know, <laughs> in the leaves because they're beneficial. No, they're not. But anyway, like I said, this, this whole notion, it's logical. But just because something is logical, that does not mean that it's true. So I did a little uh, deeper digging into this, and I found an article in The Atlantic where they interviewed plant experts. So not dermatologists who make all these claims. (laughs) What did the plant experts say? And according to this article, Elliot Gall, a professor at Portland State University, said, quote, the scientific literature shows that indoor houseplants do very little to clean the air. And then a few other experts chimed in with one saying, houseplants do not clean the air, in fact, any more than an old pair of socks or a baseball cap. So so the amount that a Now I'll look at my plants differently. (laughs) But the amount that they're going to filter the air for you is 
really negligible. The article goes on to describe the amount that you would need. And it turns out, so if you had a 10 by 10 room, so 10 by 10 and then 8 feet tall, you would need to have 1,000 plants in the office to have an air cleaning capacity uh, where the room air turns over one, once an hour. And that's typical for like an air exchange rate in a uh, office ventilation system. So, in a lab, it's many times more. Uh, exactly. And so you would need many times more plants. So theoretically, plants could clean the air, uh, remove some of the stuff, but in practice, it doesn't really work. Now, don't get me wrong. I love house plants, and I've got a number of them, and I plant a garden, and you know, I actually even feel bad when I have to dig up plants uh, that have died off in the fall. <laughs> it actually like physically hurts me. But you know, I think it's okay to love plants for just what they look like and how they make you feel when you take care of them. You know, you don't have to also require that your plants are going to be filtering your air because they don't filter your air and they're not going to help your skin no matter what these dermatologists are telling you. But they are relaxing and they're lovely to take care of. (laughs) Indeed, indeed they are. (laughs) Well, we did get some listener feedback in about some of our past episodes. Carolyn, you know, this is this show will be maggoty with listener feedback. So we got feedback from what Instagram, and we're gonna read a a few uh, uh, Apple Podcast reviews. So, so let's see what the let's see what people have to say about us. Well, Carolyn from Instagram writes us about episode two forty two. Can hair products be comedogenic? And someone wrote in asking about non comedogenic hair products and. They weren't really satisfied with the advice Perry gave. They felt it was a little shortcoming in a couple ways. Uh, Perry, your advice was to use little or no product if this is a problem. And often many people, when they want to tame the hairline texture on their skin um, or get the hair to lay down or in a a certain design, uh, you have to use large amounts of product to aid in manageability to achieve the looks desired. And for this individual, it could be a big issue for someone whose skin is prone to clogging pores and has a hair texture that demands larger amounts of products and products that tame hair and sit directly on the skin. So they were not really happy that we kind of lacked giving a real answer. And she is hoping that we can address this answer better for people who do like to apply product to the edges of their hairline or more directly on skin and help them with their struggles. Yeah, well, you know, I never mean to sound like I'm dismissive about uh, questions and answers. I just want people to know that the reality is there are some questions that don't really have answers. And I know there are people out there who will give you definitive answers, whether they have the right to give that definitive answer or not. There are some questions when you're specifically asking about a question for yourself, the reality is I, I, we don't have an answer for an individual. Uh, we have some general advice that might help most people, but for specific people, I have, I have no idea what the answers are. Yeah. I mean, ideally, one would look for products advertising to be supportive of a non-comedogenic claim or they don't contain ingredients known to be comedogenic. Yeah. I'm not aware of many that do that because the, the testing is a little strange and 
even um, just because an ingredient is not comedogenic doesn't mean it will be in a product that doesn't cause uh, comedones. And just because an ingredient is comedogenic doesn't mean it will cause comedones in a product. So it's really um, a tricky issue. And the best advice that I can offer is contact the brand that you're using or contact a brand you're interested in using and ask them if they have any testing data on comedogenicity for a product. That's really um, all we can do. Well, and I think that that demonstrates the real challenge here with a lot of questions. For individuals, sometimes there just is not a good answer. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Sorry, Carolyn. We, uh, you know, we know you wanted us to give you um, a better answer, and uh, this is a very tough one. And maybe, I don't know, maybe, Perry, we can go into that next time, because it is a question we get a lot, comedogenicity. And I think it's important pe- for people to realize it's it's not a clear-cut topic, and there's not really um, a lot of recommendations. Yeah, no, it would be good to do a deep dive into comedogenicity and what we do and do not know. Yeah. Well, our next uh, bit of feedback comes from Nat, episode 243. That was where we were talking about a study with oregano oil for acne. You know, it seems we never do a satisfying job on the acne products. We have a Instagram post uh, we take a lot of heat on uh, where we said, uh, you know, there's just not clear-cut scientific evidence that diet contributes to acne and and people still. It's one of our most commented on posts to this day. Well, I have uh, to say, as much as people complain about that, I, they still don't provide data that convinces me that there's a, a clear link between diet and acne. Well, not just you, half of the scientific community, right? So anyway, I actually, this feedback was really interesting. So yeah. you, you were talking about this study for oregano oil um, for acne, and you mentioned that the study wasn't reliable because there wasn't any human testing. And you thought, hey, maybe they did do the human study, didn't have positive results, results didn't include it in the paper. And Nat is a medical researcher in immunology, and she previously worked in wound healing research using animals and patients. So she thought she had uh, some pretty good perspective. So she doesn't know anything about the paper or the researchers. And she just, um, even though she doesn't know anything about that, she just said, it's probably not likely that they did the human study and didn't publish it. And the reason she, she says that is doing a human study is not trivial. There are many reasons a lab would not progress to doing the study on humans at this stage because either they don't have the capability to do it, they can't find a clinician willing to be a part of the study, yeah. Ethics for academic research with humans is really um, expensive, intensive. And so what they would want to do is they would publish the mouse studies, which they did, provide the evidence, see how it stands up to peer review, and then continue to seek uh, funding for um, studies involving humans. And then she said, let's pretend they did this study. You still would definitely want to publish it because of how time and resource intensive it was to do. So she's saying that if they had done human testing, they would have published it even if they had negative results. Correct. She's just saying we shouldn't make that conclusion. And you know what? That's fine. Um, 
all valid comments. Nat, thanks for your feedback. You know, we don't work in an environment where animal testing is done, just human testing, but due to the nature, we don't necessarily need like human ethics per se, just because they are consumer product goods at the end of the day. So having your perspective um, is really interesting to see how that is conducted and everything that needs to be done. So... Thanks. Yeah, well, I mean, we were we were only speculating on that. Uh, I wasn't definitively saying that was hey, cynical, we, Perry. Right. <laughs> well, I just know how the beauty business works. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought we might continue some more listener feedback before we get into our questions. Um, and you know, we always encourage people to go to Apple podcasts and leave a review in fact if if you appreciate the show uh please go over there and uh leave us a review that's going to help other people find the show and that helps us get uh more questions and more questions are always good so we have something to talk about you know we do appreciate hearing what the audience thinks and unlike social media podcasting is really a one-way medium and so it's good to know that we're not just out here talking into the void so i thought we'd just uh look at a read a few of these uh, uh podcast reviews um and of course you know most the the overwhelming majority of the the reviews are positive like for example the one from 183-7252, five stars. Best information. I love to hear this duo of scientists discuss cosmetics. Perry and Valerie have years of experience in the cosmetic industry, and it shows. Valerie is a product junkie and tries lots of things, too. I always look forward to listening to new episodes to hear about why claims may be misleading and what really works in skincare and makeup. Valerie oh, was good. Thanks. Yeah, no, a, a few people had said Valerie was a great addition to the show because she actually uses the products. <laughs> oh, thanks. You know, I always feel guilty about using so many products, but I'm glad uh, people are finding it useful. Well, Shara Loves Vance says five stars, informative, entertaining. Thanks for all the knowledge you share, Valerie and Perry. And then Niner Girls, five stars, the only beauty podcast to listen to. Perry and Valerie are wonderful. Uh, I love that they are ad-free so you know that their opinions are truly unbiased. They also are highly intelligent, great communicators, very funny. I find myself laughing out loud a few times during every podcast. I love their humor, and they compliment one another during their interactions. Oh, that's that's nice. Thanks. Uh, and you need to subscribe and provide and hopefully support through Patreon. And in, indeed, if you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains, and you can subscribe. Uh, we thank you to all of our wonderful patrons, and uh, we look forward to speaking with you uh, in private events coming up soon. You know, all we right. get a lot of um, we get a lot of requests for uh, hey, can we be on your podcast? Can we advertise on your podcast? We just don't do it, guys. We turn all that away every day. We get requests on Instagram. We do, and and through Gmail, <laughs> and uh, and some actually some some big names. They're like, we want to come on and be interviewed on your show, and I'm like, have you listened to our show? We don't really do interviews. <laughs> Although I want to say we're not we're not anti-interview. I think we would do interview interview, but the problem, the thing that happens is like people people are like, oh, I'm launching a, a brand, so I want you to come on and. You know, I want to be interviewed on your show because I'm launching a brand. I'm like, yeah, we can't do that. Well, I will say this. We had a a little teaser. I'm trying to find out if it's real or not. There was a celebrity. We previewed their line on the show. It had come up in a question. 
And supposedly, this person wants to come on the show and set us straight. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't want to be mean to anybody. <laughs> so. I'll be. I'll be the good cop. Oh, okay. Wait, that makes me the bad cop. Speaking yeah, of bad cop, Banana Slug says two stars. Good content. Miserable content delivery. I had to unsubscribe. Perry is really unpleasant to listen to. Oh, no. I don't care to hear his rants or his awkward small talk. Well, you know thank what? you, Banana we Slug. Can't, it's not for everyone, and that's okay. There's podcasts I don't like to listen to. <laughs> well, I don't even like to listen to myself, quite frankly, because I don't like my voice. But, you know, it's what I was born with. I'm sorry. And five stars, uh, just to just to make myself feel better. Five stars, great podcast, and this is from C Lynch twenty six. Perry is great. Please add more ukulele. Oh, I should have brought my ukulele up. Today. No, you shouldn't have. <laughs> at the end, though, we could add it at the end. Sure, sure. Yeah, right after yeah. the cats. All right, here's the final one. Four stars from Panda nine two seven two six three nine four. Perry, please stop interrupting Valerie. Yeah. <laughs> Great informative <laughs> podcast, but I wish Perry would stop interrupting Valerie with inane jokes, puns, or asides. Many times it also seems like he's trying to be wrong with his asides, like when he confused Kate Middleton and Sarah Ferguson and said Kate Ferguson because he can't keep up with the Royals. I, I honestly don't keep up with the Royals, but sorry. Sarah Ferguson hasn't been a name in the popular lexicon for years. It really detracts from the flow, and as a female myself, it's irritating how often it happens. Please let Valerie speak. Free Valerie. That's her. That's the, yeah. the name of the well, show is Free Valerie Thank you, today. Panda. <laughs> Wait, Valerie, do I interrupt you that much? You do. I mean, it just... <laughs> it's, you know, for me, it's just you, though. You know? What? You're you. I know. I. You know what? In my defense... I don't interrupt you because you're a girl. I used to interrupt Randy, and he wasn't a girl. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you just interrupt. Yeah, just who I'm you are. I'm an interrupter. Sorry, yeah. I'm sorry. I just, I just jump in there, and I have something to say, and I don't want to forget it. Well, anyway. you know, it happens. <laughs> it does. It does. I will try to reduce my interruptions, but I can't promise they're going away. Anyway, thank you to everyone who took the time to write your review and provide feedback either through uh, Apple Apple I, Apple Podcasts or through Instagram. Um, you know, I try to read everything, and even though, you know, sometimes they make me feel a bit uncomfortable telling me how awful I am, but, but the reality is most people are very, are very kind, uh, and we appreciate that all. But, you know... We do the best we can, and we're not everybody's cup of tea. And thanks especially to all the people who provide encouragement. And I want you to let us know what you think of the show. Just go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there, or, you know, leave us feedback on Instagram. We follow that, too. All right, are we ready for some beauty questions? Let's do it. Stephanie from Patreon writes, Hi, Beauty Brains. I have a question about hair dye. Is it possible for demi-permanent dye to permanently stain hair? I have natural dirty blonde hair and want to dye it with medium reddish-brown demi-permanent. I would like it to eventually fade back to my natural blonde. In the past, I've had it dyed with demi-permanent brown at the salon, and it faded to a light brown that wouldn't wash out. Thanks. Well... You know, Valerie, let me just interrupt you. (laughs) Anytime I hear of demi-permanent, I always think it's demi-more. I don't... Yeah, or Demi Lovato. 
Demi Lovato? Who's Demi Lovato? I I'm not going there. Oh, sorry. Anyway, um, what's the uh, what's the answer here? You are the hair care expert. Actually, you are one of the country's foremost experts in hair coloring. And I am. So what do you yes. what do you have to say Thank about you. this? Yes, I am. Sure. Uh, well, unfortunately, Stephanie, not great news. Um, your hair probably will permanently be stained, uh, uh-huh. very permanently. The challenge is even with demi permanent color. We have these dye molecules that are penetrating into the hair shaft so that they can be there for up to four to six weeks, which is a typical demi-permanent claim. And in order to do that, they need time to get in and they really go in. Unfortunately, they can't all come out. So while most of the color may come out, you still will have some color that will come out, leaving the hair looking stained and your hair will be changed forever. The only type of hair color that will completely watch out is temporary color, which would be like a root touch-up spray. And that's because instead of dyes that penetrate into the hair, the dyes stick to the outside of the hair fiber and wash off right away. So if you're looking for something really temporary, meaning one shampoo, you can go the temporary dye route. Otherwise, you will have to just wait until your hair grows out. I always laugh about demi-permanent because it's uh, it's actually kind of permanent <laughs> in some way. It's kind of so, permanent. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so... So those, like in Halloween, when you want to spray your hair blue or orange or whatever, that's that's actually temporary hair color. That's temporary color. Right mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. And so that's just on the surface. Yeah, demi is just like, it's sort of permanent. It's partially permanent. Yeah, yeah. Hence why it's demi-permanent, right? Sure. And in Europe, demi-permanent is uh, just a phrase that's starting to come around. So if you are one of our listeners in Europe, you may know demi-permanent as semi-permanent. All right. Well, fascinating there. Let's go on to the next question. This question too. Jordan says, I've been a fan of your blog for many years now. Recently, my wife purchased two bottles of an herbal supplement called Acnepearl. Uh, I tried without any success to get her to send the product back, believing that she's been sold a product that doesn't work as advertised. Is there any blog post or podcast episode that you've dedicated to traditional Chinese medicine? Or is there a chance you can help me convince her to rely on dermatologist's advice rather than spending money on unregulated, unproven herbal supplements? Thank you. Oh, very interesting. Yeah, I think uh, we we've talked about it before, but I don't think we've done a deep dive on supplements in a long time. In fact, I'm not sure if you and I ever have. I, I know we've we uh, have mentioned it a, t- a few times. Yeah, yeah we, we've talked about it a few times. We've certainly never discussed traditional Chinese medicine. We have not. Um, you know, if you want an excellent covering of the subject, uh, I would suggest you check out the second season of a different podcast, not ours, but it's called The Dream Podcast, uh, and particularly episodes three and four, and they get into the how the regulations of supplements in the United States are and how, you know, it's all kind of uh, practically unregulated and the claims that they make are way out of line with what they can prove. So check out the Dream Podcast. It's, it's it's a pretty good it's a pretty good podcast actually. Yeah, it was great. Mm-hmm. And if people still want to take the risk of doing supplements after hearing that, you know, I'm not really sure what's going to change people's mind. 
But on to your questions. Now, since you are listening to the Beauty Brains and you had this specific question, I thought maybe it would be helpful to look a little deeper into this product, uh, specifically the Active Herb Acne Pearl product. So whenever uh, reviewing a product, the first thing that I like to do is go and look at the claims that are on the container or on their websites. Now, sometimes you might think a company is making a much stronger claim than they are actually making. For example, an anti-aging product, they might make the claim that it reduces the appearance of wrinkles. And while, you know, people get the impression that they are saying that it actually reduces wrinkles, but what they are actually legally saying is that it just makes it look like you don't have wrinkles. That's what we call uh, weasel words in the industry, <laughs> right? So the phrase where you said the appearance of wrinkles, that's different. And in a court of law, you could easily get away with supporting that, whereas you couldn't get away with supporting that, oh, it gets rid of your wrinkles because there really aren't any products available topical that are going to get rid of wrinkles. So on this product, uh, I went to their website and their first claim is a description of what the product is. It says it's a popular Chinese herbal supplement. Now, it is illegal to make false claims. So when you want to look at a product, you know, you really want to parse what those claims are saying. And this is a popular Chinese herbal supplement. And so this could be true enough, right, based on the sales or the knowledge of it, you know, and people people like to use things that are popular. So if it's, it's like when you go to popular restaurants or movies and stuff. You know, most humans find things that are popular to be compelling. I know when uh, I suggest restaurants to my wife, she's going to look and say, wait, nobody goes there. We're not going to go there. Because <laughs> to her, there's some sort of quality there. And probably rightfully shows so, right? Well, the next claim goes on to say, quote, it supports skin health and improves skin tone and texture. What does that mean? But, yeah, right. What does that mean? <laughs> I mean, the phrase supports skin health, it can really mean anything. I mean, it, it's like where it lifts up the skin, is that it? Or it stands on the sideline when skin is playing a soccer game and it's cheering it on. Hey, I'm supporting you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now, you're taking it for skin health. So right. that's supporting skin health. Yeah. I mean, in the business, we call a claim like this puffery. And it... it it feels like it means something, but it doesn't actually mean anything at all. And so companies can companies can say that without actually having to prove it. Now, the other part of their claim is that it improves the skin tone and texture. And that's a little bit more complicated because you could actually measure uh, where you look at the tone and you look at the texture before and then after using the product. So that's where they have to put a, this little qualification mark in there. And if you look at the bottom of their website, they clarify that it says these claims have not been evaluated by the FDA, meaning, you know, we said this thing, but, you know, we haven't really proven it <laughs> to anybody. So you can't hold us responsible uh, whether it's true or not. And that is something that you commonly see in supplement products. The products are barely regulated and so they can say a lot as long as they have that qualification oh the fda hasn't evaluated these claims mm -hmm. now that is of course just the first time and you can see why it gets pretty difficult to fight against nonsense claims because it's so much easier to just come up with a fake claim and then sell dubious products uh, 
than it is to prove, in, in at least in an interesting and entertaining way, that uh, something is fake or dubious. Uh, just making up things is just a lot easier than uh, proving that what something that was made up is actually not true. Um, I just want to look at a, a few other things. The next section, they say, what does this do? And they say, the quotes, the research-based customized formula is particularly suited in cases that are characterized by non-cystic acne, abundant pimples, blackheads, or bumps associated with adolescence. It is suitable for a range of skin conditions that manifest in itching, redness, and fit in the pattern that Chinese medicine ascribes to heat and or dampness. All right, Valerie, now that I read this part, what do you think that actually, or what does this product actually do? It's still not clear what it does. It's just saying they're recommending it to people who have these conditions. They're not saying it's going to solve those conditions, treat those conditions. It's just saying it's suitable for people that have these conditions. Um, You know, in the hair business, we say, oh, it's suitable for all hair types, you know, Um, or it's suitable for um, fine hair. It, It doesn't mean anything. It's just like, hey. We're saying, you know what, it's particularly suited to people who have this. They don't explain the why. Right, and you, it, it actually, a claim like this relies on you to, to just assume what it's doing, right? If I say, oh, this product is for acne, you're going to make that assumption that, oh, it's going to cure my acne without me actually having to say it. And then that way, uh, I can get you to believe something about a product for example, that it cures acne, without actually having to say that, because if I said that, then I'd have to show you data and I'd have to prove that. And if I did do that, uh, claiming that something cures acne, that makes it uh, a drug. And in this case, it would be an illegal drug because these are not approved anti-acne products. They also get into this story about traditional Chinese medicine and how acne is connected to the uh, the lungs and the dampness and and heat <laughs> I don't know this is all just kind of uh, you know it's just kind of made up stuff it's it's not actually a thing it's not proven science or proven fact it's it's, it's more like you know it's I don't know to me it's more like something you'd see in Harry Potter or something it's just it's not science based it's it's just kind of tradition and in fact you know stuff we used to do way back when in medicine a lot of stuff was just wrong i mean we used to bleed people right (laughs) because we thought letting blood out is going to cure you but you know we don't do that anymore um so we've gotten smarter over the years and i think the things that the ancients used to do to cure people the stuff that worked we still do that and stuff that didn't work you know we don't do that anymore because it's pre-scientific and you know, this isn't to say that everything that comes out of Chinese medicine is bogus. Uh, there are things that might work, but we investigate those things, and if they do work, it just becomes medicine. <laughs> um, the The blog that I like to look at about things like this is Science-Based Medicine. They did an excellent review of traditional Chinese medicine, and I will leave a link and encourage people to check that out. So I'm not even going to get to the near-complete lack of regulation of the uh, supplement industry, but suffice it to say that, you know, I haven't seen anything in this product that actually will do anything for acne. You know, I wish you well on convincing your wife, though. I mean, nobody actually likes to think that they made a bad purchase, do they, right? No, not at all. 
Right. Most people are going to look for reasons why something was a good purchase and nothing that you hear on a podcast is going to convince them otherwise. You know, beauty product supplementers, uh, they rely on people buying something and then believing in it, whether it works or not. Yeah. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if your wife enjoys taking the supplement and she's not having any adverse um, health impact, you know, I guess there's no harm, um, you know, but if she has stuff going on or, you know, her medical stuff is complicated, consult a physician, see if she should be taking it. You know, my beef with supplements is, and by the way, my doctors have prescribed, prescribed a couple supplements to me, um, that they use in tandem with other, uh, other stuff that I have. And, um, you know, even then at that point, I make sure I'm buying from a reputable company that has the necessary ISO certifications in place that I know is not selling adulterated material, isn't selling products with uh, heavy metals present. So uh, just make sure at least um, it's coming from a company with these legitimate certifications. You know, I, ju I just get a little weirded out when, when they're companies that not. And that was even before the Dream Podcast. Um, but we highly recommend <laughs> yeah. you check that podcast out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Try not to just go to Amazon and buy the cheapest supplement you can because it's probably yeah, a don't questionable quality. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Our next question is an audio question from Jen. Let me uh, play this one out. Hey, Beauty Brains. I'm Jen, and I have a couple of questions for you guys. I was so excited to discover your podcast this past summer. You guys are definitely what's been missing from my beauty routine. Speaking of my beauty routine, the older I got, the more minimal it became. And I've basically pared my personal routine down to the two solid basics, just a good cleanser and a solid moisturizer. So in regards to these two basics, here are my questions. Firstly, is there something wrong with using good old fashioned soap on my face? Lately, I've just been rinsing off my makeup at the 99 cent bar of Yardley soap that I grabbed from a bin in the grocery store. It works just fine, and I really like the way my skin smells afterwards. So what's so chemically different about all the facial cleansers out there? Is there a chemical or dermatological reason that I should avoid plain old soap on my aging face? Secondly, my question in regards to moisturizing is this. Why are some moisturizers for hand and body and others meant for face? Can I use my body lotion on my face? Is there some ingredient in it that would make it unacceptable for that? And conversely, what's so facey about a face lotion? What are the actual differences between these products? Are there any? Is it just marketing? My thanks in advance for any answers you guys have. This is actually a great question, Jen, because, you know, throughout COVID and even just the way uh, times are trending, people really are thinking, how can I do more with less? And certainly your routine is reflective of this new mindset that a lot of people have. When it comes to the cleansing aspect, you can either use a soap like you're doing or um, a facial cleanser, which is a liquid. And they actually are two really uh, different chemistries, kind of, kind of similar, but the actual chemistry and the way they're put together is a little bit different. So soap actually has uh, oils or um, lipids that have undergone saponification to create this, uh, this bar, this bar soap. Whereas liquid cleansers, there may be um, some saponification within the surfactants, but the surfactants are really created using 
um, different technologies to be able to go into liquid uh, the way that they do and create these cleansers. Essentially, it's just different chemical reactions. The one to make soap is the saponification reaction where you take an oil, you react it with a base, and that's going to make a soap molecule. When we're talking about synthetic detergents, there's a wide variety of reactions to go. Most commonly is a sulfonation reaction, so that, that's how you turn you know, coconut oil into sodium lauryl sulfate. Exactly. So people tend not to like the conventional bar soaps because of, oh, there's this high pH, they're going to strip your skin. But really for me, it's not even about that because I've used lots of even liquid cleansers using modern chemistry that have left my skin feeling stripped. It's about the uh, cleansing experience you get and the yeah. skin feel afterwards. And for me, I like to use bar soap on my body. I don't really like to use it on my face j just because of the, the feel that's left on the skin. But if you're enjoying the skin feel, uh, totally keep going with it. There's nothing wrong with it. As long as you feel like your skin, uh, the skin barrier is not compromised, you're not having any adverse reactions, and everything is great, keep going with it. Nothing wrong with, about that. When I use soap on my face, it, it just leaves the face feeling, uh, I don't know, the, the, the word I used to describe it is tight. It just feels there's a certain tightness under my skin. Sometimes I like that, sometimes I don't. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of the difference there. Are you using Yardley soap? I, I'm not using Yardley soap. Do you know I'm Yardley using... is one of the oldest beauty brands still on the market with their soaps? I think we learned really? that like 100 episodes back. Yeah, yeah. not 100 no. almost. <laughs> That's right. It was one of the oldest brands. Um, no, I, I don't know. So I have a uh, just a bar soap that somebody sent me <laughs> that, uh, that I'm using every so often. You know, mostly I just use my shampoo and I will wash my face with that. And yeah, that works so al already fine. the minimalist strategy going on and, there. So Exactly. Chemically, the cleansers are made differently, and they just leave a different um, skin feel of the skin. So if you're clean and happy and you love the smell, keep going with it. I actually wish I could find some Yardley soap to try that out. But as far as the, the chemistry there, they're both surfactants, and so soap and synthetic detergents, they will surround the oils on your face, and they will remove the oils. So they work exactly. the same way. Yeah. Now, for moisturizers, I would say there's a bigger bit of a difference here for a couple of reasons. When you formulate for hand and body, typically uh, you're filming things that are thicker, heavier, more occlusive. Maybe they're a little bit more waxy. They tend to have a little bit more perfume in them, and they tend to have less active ingredients in them, let's say. So if you're a brand and you are using you know, active levels that can justify studies with ingredients in a face cream, you probably aren't going to use them in a hand or a body cream just because the size of the packaging is so big and it it can get really expensive. Um, or there just maybe not studies for non-face skin on there. So as a formulator, from a chemistry perspective, I'm using water, I'm using oils, and I'm using emulsifiers and a preservative. It's the same. But how thick it is, how emollient it is, um, those are the differences there. For hand and body, you tend to add more fragrance because uh, when you hydrate, people like to be perfumed at the same time. I would think, and again, this is just a generalization. You could have the perfect hand moisturizer or body moisturizer that's just perfect for your face. Um, but generally, in my experience, that's typically not the case. I've done it when I've been in a pinch 
Um, and I personally haven't really liked the feel, but I do do it sometimes. Um, just if I'm too lazy or I don't have anything else, uh, with me, but I, I tend to find that the fragrance is a big factor for me where I don't like it. Yeah. And we, when you formulate, you formulate to consumers' expectations. Consumers expect facial moisturizers to feel lighter, uh, not as heavy. And so when you're trying to differentiate a product, you're going to make a hand lotion is going to feel a little more heavy than a face, a face lotion. Um, but I'm sure if you looked at the marketplace for all face lotions, there are, and you looked at all hand lotions, you know, between brands, there is going to be a lot of overlap in what feels heavy because there are some consumers who do like uh, something to feel heavier on their face because that makes it feel like they're actually getting a product on there. Or if it's too light, it just it doesn't feel right. Um, and so there are a wide range of products available between face and body lotion. But I think a general rule is you try to make it feel lighter on this on the face and feel a little heavier on the skin but you know i would use both uh in either places if if i use such products yeah i had a, a tatcha body moisturizer and i i thought that one felt actually really light almost too light for the body yeah. skin and i was like yeah well let me use this on my face one night and i couldn't figure out why i had all these sparkles all over my face <laughs> the next day and Is i never realized that or the tatcha product had uh yeah mica in it oh, uh, oops. <laughs> but my go-to body moisturizer little confession for you guys i like to use palmer's cocoa butter lotion Ah. There is nothing better than getting into your sheets and just smelling like a little <laughs> chocolate treat. I love it. Um, to me, that's one of the best um, lotions ever. And uh, I, I have used that for years. I absolutely really, really love it. I have used it on my face before and it's just, it's too waxy. It, they actually do use a bit of cocoa butter in there. Um, yeah. um, amongst other things, but um, cocoa butter and lotions has a really just kind of waxy feel. Um, waxy is the best way I could describe it, even though it is a butter. Um, so it's interesting, but I try not to use that one um, on my face. And it it's very chocolatey. I just like my basically the bottom half of my body to smell like chocolate. I think, I think Mr. Cosmetic Chemist appreciates it too. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't like chocolate? Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't? Well, yeah. I think, Jen, I think the bottom line here is that uh, – if you like what you're doing, I think it's perfectly fine to keep doing what you're doing, uh, especially if you like the results. There's no there's no inherently bad thing that you're doing here. Yeah. And now I'm off to Amazon to get Yardley soap. <laughs> and we're off to the next question, and it's another audio question. Hey, guys, it's Daniela. I wanted to know your opinion on this. Um, my mom recovered from COVID. She was pretty ill. She was 10 weeks on intensive care with lots of harsh treatments, so her skin has suffered greatly. She has dry, flaky skin, she has a lot of hyperpigmentation and red spots and dryness overall. She was, I mean, um, treated with a lot of alcohol to sanitize her. She was under a light bulb 24-7 for 10 weeks with 
no skincare at all. So I wanted to know if you have any recommendations or treatments for someone who's been through that situation and what would be the best thing to recover her skin. So thank you very much. Well, Daniela, I, I'm sorry to hear that your mom went through so much, but I am so happy that she was able to recover and yeah. that the skin hopefully today is the, the least of her worries. I'm really happy to hear her recovery story. Absolutely. Oh, that's, yeah, that's just heartbreaking. And, uh, you know, we focus on, you know, people dying, people recovering, but there is some side effects and uh, this sounds like something like that. Yeah, so actually when you guys are hearing this episode on February 22nd, this is actually the one-year anniversary of me contracting COVID um, from some somebody from Italy last year, and I was very fortunate to only be out of commission for three weeks. I wasn't hospitalized, um, but just the, the wide, wide array of things people are experiencing post-COVID and you know, there are these COVID long hauler stories of pe people having issues. And I certainly have some things that I suspect there. Um, it really just is crazy. And I think we'll, we'll start to hear more things as they come out. Um, even with, um, Daniela's mom, I never thought, uh, what people were experiencing in the hospital. So I'm wondering if there's other people who just due to the sanitation protocols and the light, like she's, um, speaking do have these issues. That's, that's really incredible to hear. Yeah. I mean, we should remind everybody that neither Valerie or I are doctors. Um, I wish I was and, a doctor. Right. Med school didn't happen for me. But anyway. <laughs> well, I just want to say, you know, we say that up front. So, you know, don't take medical advice from two cosmetic chemists. Uh, but I'm going to suspect that the treatment for the conditions that uh, were laid out in the question it's the same kind of condition, uh, same kind of treatments that someone who isn't recovering from COVID, but they have those conditions. You know, for dry, flaky skin, you're going to want to use some sort of moisturizer. It, for for my money, something with petrolatum or mineral oil is is good. But if you want something lighter, something like sunflower seed oil and glycerin, uh, that can work too. Uh, there are a number of lotions that you know people like to use. You just got to find something that that works for you. You know, some work better than other lotions, but you know, almost any lotion is going to give you that quick moisturizing effect. So it, it comes down to your personal preference. Um, you know, it, it, at least something can make your skin feel better right away. Now, how long it lasts or whatever, that is certainly going to depend. Um, for other conditions, you know, look for some active ingredients. Yeah, I would recommend, you know, while, um, you know, we're not doctors and we suspect that this is a good starting point, it, it really is a good starting point and, and work with your physician on this as well. For the dry skin piece, like Perry said, any lotion, any cream uh, to help immediately uh, form this occlusive layer on the skin will be terrific. I would look for things that do not have fragrance, uh, things known to be gentle on the skin, like Aquaphor, CeraVe, um, Cetaphil, really, really innocuous, gentle things um, to not aggravate uh, the lack of skin barrier that's there. Um, for the hyperpigmentation, I probably would tackle that next after you get the dry skin issues fixed, because if the skin's dry, flaking, and then you put these uh, things on it to increase skin turnover, 
I'm, I'm worried about maybe some for potential for irritation. Uh, but when you're there, look for niacinamide. Look for uh, things that do increase turnover like the skin, like gentle acids. But definitely work with your physician on that one. But I would tackle the dry skin first. Yeah, absolutely. And we're so, and again, we're so glad your mom recovered. For sure. All right, Valerie, it looks like we got time for one more question. All right. This comes to us from Rita. Rita's from Portugal, but living in Canada. First of all, thank you so much for all you do and providing such good information to science newbies like me. One of the many cosmetic questions that have been haunting me is polyethylene in cosmetic products. Is it an actual microplastic when formulated in cosmetics? Does it cause harm to sea life when it goes down the drain? What's its thing other than helping with texture and spreadability? And why is it so common in so many cosmetic products? Thank you so much in advance. Polyethylene. Yeah. PE, yeah. As, as we call it. Yeah. So I, I think we're not seeing it so much anymore. So Rita, you should, I, I guess, feel good um, or not. Just know that it's uh, disappearing from cosmetic products because of regulations put in place in the United States, Canada, UK, Europe, other parts of the world. This regulation happened about three to four years ago, and it happened really fast. So a couple yeah. of stories came out. Um, even now, we're hearing about microplastics in placenta, microplastics in fish. And pretty much right away, people said, hey, you know what? It's polyethylene beads from cosmetic products. And uh, the thing is that those are they were just kind of a gimmick. Those things actually didn't have much impact on the functionality of the product. That is why they were so easily replaced because they were just a gimmick. And, you know, if they're not actually doing something, it's a lot easier to replace them. That's why it's so difficult to replace uh, preservatives with other things because preservatives actually are doing something. Yeah. So you, you still see polyethylene in products here and there. Um, in the U.S., they're not supposed to be in there, um, and other parts of the world are not supposed to be in there as well. So they should be reformulating. Um, if they haven't already, they're way late to the game. Uh, whether or not it comes causes harm to sea life, I would guess there's some ecological impact. That's not an area I, I work in. It is really important that we understand how plastics are getting into the ocean, how microplastics are getting into the ocean and getting everywhere. And I can actually promise you the cosmetics industry is a very, very, very tiny portion of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, yet it's the thing that's getting the most attention because it's affecting um, you as a person, right? Um, we always get, our industry always gets picked on the most. <laughs> people choose to ignore the HINI industry, which is household and industrial um, industry toilet bowl cleansers have had polyethylene in them, even from natural brands. I won't name them. Um, you know, they're used in industrial cleaning for ships. Yeah. Um, yet cosmetics are getting there, yeah. the bad rap. Yeah. And there's even actually, um, a couple, um, pieces of information I've seen where they've looked at, uh, polyethylene particle size used in cosmetic products. And then there's analysis done at, okay, well, what are wastewater treatment plants able to filter out? Yeah. And it's just not likely that they're coming from your cosmetic products. But right. no one's looking at the ship deck cleaning industry and saying, hey, you know, what's in what's in your product? Um, but yeah, I think there are a lot of lot of things coming from like laundry and stuff, like uh, coming off your clothes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a way bigger problem than just cosmetic products. But of course, yeah. 
Um, cosmetics get a bad rap. Polyethylene is very rarely used anymore um, in products for texture for the perception of exfoliation. So you should see it disappearing. Um, and if you do flip your product over and you do see polyethylene, please contact the brand because they are years late to the reformulation game. Absolutely. And speaking of late, it's getting late tonight. But before we go, I want to thank some of our new patrons from this year. Uh, Thank you so much to Jerry Kelly, Michelle, Sam H., Sandra, Robin B., Sarah C., Sandra, Jessica, and Miriam. Thank you all so much for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, If you want to support us on Patreon and uh, keep the commercials out of our show, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. Well, as Perry said, that's all the time we have. Thanks again for listening, everybody. If you get a chance, please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That will help us. That will help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And it'll also get me to stop interrupting Valerie. (laughs) (laughs) Which he should do anyway. (laughs) Indeed. And if you have a question, you want to get your voice on the show, just head on over and record it on your smartphone and then email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. And we have a Facebook page. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens!